Good morning, Dort University. Can you believe it's already November? Yes? No? The tree, are the trees incredible? Beautiful? The air is crisp. Break is just a few really, really, really long weeks away. Anyone relate to that? But it's coming. It's almost here. A rest, a break from class and school. I just want to get right into it this morning. We're still in our series, Sola Gratia. We've been walking through the book of Galatians this semester. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Galatians chapter 5. If not, it'll be on the screen. And I want to start, and I just want to read the first verse, Galatians 5 verse 1. Paul says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let's pray. God, would you open our eyes to see you this morning? Would you open our ears to hear your words? And would you open our hearts to receive what you have for us, to be transformed into your image for your glory? By the power of the Spirit, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I was recently reading a book where a pastor and author quoted the great Scandinavian intellectual, Princess Elsa. Not sure if you've heard of her. She has great stuff, particularly the the Frozen films. If If you go back, the song that everyone sings all of the time still, Let It Go, anyone know it? Maybe you can help me sing it. She says this, And by sing, I mean I will say. You're welcome to sing along if you want. But she says these lines. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. I I sung it when I was like practicing, doing mic check, and I just decided to say it after that. It was bad. But this is the predominant understanding of freedom in the West, right? No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. It's to do whatever you want. And freedom is perhaps one of the most important Western, even, and even more than Western, American values. From the founding of our nation, we've heard things like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness— Or give me liberty or give me your death. Or maybe some more modern quips. The heart wants what the heart wants. Or listen to your heart. Or you do you. Freedom is an American's ultimate good. It's the bedrock of our nation. It's the waters in which we swim every day. And it's the way we live our life. But this view of freedom... To do whatever you want is what philosophers call negative freedom. It's freedom from. And actually, this view of freedom is what Jesus and the New Testament writers call enslavement. Paul, just a few verses later in chapter 5, he says this in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And then a few verses after that, he lists all the works of the flesh. He says, the works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Often our Western and American understanding of freedom leaves us enslaved to the very things Paul just listed. It leaves us enslaved to our fleshly and sinful desires. And the irony is, as Princess Elsa is singing this song, she's building an ice castle where she is alone and feels like she can't go back to her community. She can't go back to society. She's bound to it. So as she sings the words, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free, she's actually enslaved. But the Christian understanding of freedom is not primarily freedom from, it's freedom for. It's positive freedom. And it's what Paul is getting at in Galatians 5 verse 1. He's saying Christ has set you free from sin and slavery to be free for love and spiritual fruit. Eugene Peterson in the message puts it like this. He says Christ has set us free to live a free life. Christ has set us free to live a free life. And don't we all long to live a free life? We may know we've been set free from sin because that's what we're taught, but have you experienced a free life? And so what Paul is telling us in this passage is we should not just stop at freedom from, but let's move towards freedom for. And so Dort, this morning, whether you are online or in here, let's not stop at freedom from, but let's move towards freedom for and experience a free life. And so the question that I want to ask us this morning is, how do we live a free life? We all want it, so how do we do it? How do we, how do we live a free life? And Paul helps us answer this question with the rest of the passage this morning. So I'm going to read for us Galatians 5, verses 2 to 12. For freedom, I'll start with verse 1 again. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. 
How do we live a free life? I think the first step that Paul gets us gets at is that we have to move beyond our image. We have to move beyond our image. Paul, throughout the book of Galatians, has yet to give many commandments or imperatives. He's given strong hints and recommendations, but in this text he gives a loud and clear command, and that command is do not get circumcised. And so why should the Gentile Christians not be circumcised? In verse 2, Christ says, well, if you get circumcised, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Verse 3, if you get circumcised, you will be obligated to follow the entire law, to be perfect. In verse 4, Paul says, if you get circumcised, you're going to be cut off from Jesus and fall away from grace. So to summarize, Paul's saying, do not get circumcised. Because to get circumcised is to say that grace is not necessary since there is another way. And remember, these rival teachers were coming to these Gentile Christians and they were teaching them and communicating that circumcision was sufficient for righteousness. And the problem with this is, the problem of circumcision and understanding that that is good enough for righteousness is that circumcision only deals with our image. It only deals with the flesh, with the surface of who we are. Here's what N.T. Wright says about circumcision. And just so you know, the word sarx on the screen is the Greek word for flesh. To get circumcised is to perform an operation in the flesh and to focus on and draw attention to the flesh. Claiming membership in Abraham's family according to the flesh. So circumcision is only about the flesh. It only deals with our appearance, with our image, with us, and with our behavior. And I wonder how much of our discipleship, our apprenticeship to Jesus in the church, and at Dort, in our own personal lives, only deals with our image only focuses on our appearance and our behavior rather than our heart. I call this type of discipleship behavior modification discipleship. Right? It, it's discipleship that only changes our behavior. It's discipleship that reflects and focuses on our image. I was recently reading an article talking about the rapper Drake. Maybe you're familiar with him. Maybe you don't want to admit you're familiar with him or like his music. I don't know. Either way is fine. But the the rapper Drake was just gifted a Rolls Royce. And this Rolls Royce was special to him because he used to rent this car for $5,000 each time. And he said he rented it to keep up appearances when he first started rapping. And in this article, Drake says this. He says, back in 2007, We used to finesse this Rolls-Royce Phantom rental to convince people in the city we were destined to make it. How much of our discipleship to Jesus is simply to convince people we're destined to make it? How much of our tick-box Christianity that Angela talked about two weeks ago is simply to convince others that we've arrived 
that we're a good Christian, that we have it all together when we don't. On the surface, on the tip of the iceberg, all is well, but inside we're hurting and we're in pain and we're feeling shame and we're a little bit dead on the inside. But then in our bitterness and in our anger and in our hurt and in our pain, we begin to force people into the same cycle we are in of just making it. And so what ends up happening is we begin to make people act like us rather than God. We begin to conform people into our image rather than the image of Jesus. And this is probably the main reason why we have so much division and dissension in the church is because our discipleship models Models conform people to our image rather than God's image. Because we like the way we do things. It makes us feel comfortable. This is legalism. But this type of discipleship, behavior modification discipleship, also leads to, spir- to self-wellness or spiritual wellness. Right? The other dark side of spiritual rhythms or practices or disciplines or whatever language you want to give it, the other dark side to this is that they become a form of radical individualism for the sake of self. It's self-help. It's self-wellness. It's following Jesus and obeying him so that we feel good rather than for the sake of others. This is an overcorrection in response to legalism. And ultimately, this model, it changes our behavior only, at least for a little while, right? It doesn't get beneath the iceberg. It doesn't get at our heart. And so to live a free life, we must move beyond our image, and here's the second part, into God's image. We must move beyond our image into God's image. What's God's image. Paul tells us in verse 5, he says this, for through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. He says we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. We're longing for the day when Jesus returns and we are fully righteous. We are perfected. We are glorified where there's no pain and no tears and no hurt and there's wholeness and fullness and completeness. There's glimpses of that here and now that we experience, but it's not fully yet. So what do we do in the meantime? If that's what we long for, if that's the picture of what is to come, What do we do in the meantime? In verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So Paul says circumcision, our behavior, our image, our works, they don't count for anything. Our works and our behavior and our image do not have the power to help us live a free life. And then he goes over and he says, uncircumcision, disregard for any type of religious activity at all, counts for nothing. The world and culture does not have power to help us live a free life. And so what counts? What has power 
to help and to allow us live a free life. It's what Jesus himself displayed. Faith working through love. So what has power? The faithfulness of Jesus. Right, go back to Galatians 2. What has power? That Jesus loves you and he gave himself for you. That's where power is found. But in this text, Paul is not just talking about the faithfulness of Jesus. He's also talking about our human faith working through love as well. Here's how another commentator puts this verse. He says this, If that is what we most securely know about Jesus, right? So if what we most securely know about Jesus is that he loves you and he died for you, then those who are in Messiah Jesus are to be marked out in the present time by the same character. You can tell the Messiah's people because they are small working models of what we might call Messianess. They are, they too are faith through love people. And so the jump Paul makes is to move beyond our image into God's image. And to do that, we must display self-giving, grace-embodying love like Jesus did. We must become faith through love people. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, isn't love a work? Right? The fruits of the Spirit that we talked about two weeks ago, love and joy and peace and patience and all the other ones, aren't, aren't those works? I thought this wasn't about our behavior. I thought this wasn't about what we do. And my answer to that would be, no, they're, they're not works. Right? Paul is referring to the Messiah's own love that's active through the Spirit in you, in the believer. Again, remember what Angela said two weeks ago. She said, the fruit of the Spirit are not products, but they are reflections. Write that down. Put it in your mind. The fruits of the Spirit are not products, but they are reflections. They are not products of what we muster up or choose, but they are a reflection of who we already are as sons and daughters of the living God created in the image of God. It's already in you. It's already in us. And so when we move beyond our image into God's image, we begin to practice a form of discipleship that actually transforms the heart. Heart transformation discipleship. Right? And this type of discipleship reflects God's image, which is in you now. You have all you need right now to be faith working through love people. You don't have to arrive at a certain point or do a certain thing. You were made in the image of, uh, image of God, and so you have everything you need right now. Heart transformation discipleship leads to self-giving, grace-embodying love for the sake of others. Can I tell you, Bible studies are not primarily for you. Mission trips are not primarily for you. Going to church on Sundays is not primarily for you. Prayer is not primarily for you. Any spiritual discipline, practice, or rhythm is not primarily for you, but it's for others. The purpose of spiritual disciplines is to transform you into the image of God for the sake of your neighbor. And yes, it benefits us too. 
and it allows us to live a free life. But it is not ultimately about us first. And so this form of discipleship transforms our heart. It moves beyond the surface in our image, and it gets into our bodies and our bones and, and who we are, and it begins to transform from the inside out. And so know Jesus' love is active through the Spirit in you. And through that action comes heart transformation. Through the activity of the Spirit in you comes heart transformation. And so can I encourage you, Dort University, don't sit on the sidelines waiting until you have enough faith or waiting until you're good enough. But get in the game and reflect what is in you now in this very moment. Because that's how transformation will come about in your own life and in your own heart and in the life of others, of our neighbors, and of our roommates, and of our parents, and of those who we're in contact with, and those in our community. This is what living a free life is all about. Going back to Paul, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's not freedom from. It's freedom for. So how do we live a free life? We must move beyond our image into God's image every day. Paul continues and he says this in verse 7. He says, you were running well. Have you ever felt like you were running well? That God was faithful and present and good? Right? You're in a season in your life where maybe you believe who God says he is and you believe who he says you are. That you've gone through a season where you really are reflecting his image in you and practicing and experiencing the fruit of the Spirit. Have you, maybe, maybe you haven't been in the season. Maybe you're in that season right now. You've experienced a free life. But then something happens. Paul says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Or who cut in on you? He's giving us some athletic imagery here of of someone running a race. You were running well. Well, then who cut in on you? Who hindered you? Right? If you're you're a track athlete, which that's like the opposite of who I am. Um, Why would you run? I don't, anyway. Sorry. You know, track athlete, I love you. You're incredible. We need all the body. We're the body. Anyway. I just like being the part that like sits, you know? Right, he gives us this imagery that, right, he's cutting in on you. They're jockeying for position. They're trying to get ahead of you, right? And so your clear path forward is hindered. So can I ask you who or what is hindering you from obeying the truth? Who or what is hindering you from reflecting God's image? Has anxiety come back again? Has shame overwhelmed? Does lust just keep rearing its destructive head? Are angry outbursts a thing again? Does insecurity control your thoughts and ultimately your actions in your whole day and week? Has apathy been the rhythm as of late? 
has a person or thought or idea or circumstance or a habitual sin robbed you from living a free life? If so, if you've been in that place where you've been running well, but then something happens and it just totally rocks your world and your path forward and you don't know what to do and you don't know where to go and you're angry and you're frustrated and you're hurt and you just say, I'm here again. I want you to hear Paul's words. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. The persuasion that's cutting in on you, the persuasion that's causing enslavement, that makes you feel like you don't have a choice and you can't get out of it, that's not God. Did you know in Scripture, a common name for Satan or the enemy is the accuser? And a common name for the Holy Spirit, for God, is the advocate. And I bring this up Because I think each and every day we're bombarded with lies and false views of freedom. It's all around us from the things we watch and listen to and read and scroll through. And to live a free life every day, we must be able to discern the voice of the accuser and the voice of the advocate. Because often what hinders and delays and destroys and gets us off a clear path is the voice of the accuser. And can I tell you, that voice shames. That voice tears down. That voice belittles. It makes you feel like you have no choice in the matter. That voice draws your attention to yourself and your power and your work. That voice enslaves. But the voice of the advocate, that voice is tender. It's never condemning. And it is not forceful. That voice forgives, builds up, and propels forward. The voice of the advocate gives a broad place to walk and choose and to say no. That voice draws your attention to God's image and to his power and to his work. That voice sets free. So what voice are you listening to if it's the accuser if it's the accuser it begins to open us up to the works of the flesh and ultimately enslavement and that's Paul's point in verse 9 but if we listen to the voice of the advocate it releases us into living a free life So if I could give you any type of practical application from today is, yeah, be faith working through love people, right? Exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. But even more than that, each and every day begin to take time and listen and hear the voice of the advocate. The voice of God in your life to combat those lies, to combat those false views of freedom. Begin to hear God say to you, I'm your advocate. I'm your helper I will never be your accuser, and I am not your adversary. I am for you. I am with you. I am in you. And you have all that you need right now in this moment to reflect my image in you and experience a free life. Listen to that voice. Listen to the tender tender invitation of Jesus. Because it's from that place that we will begin to reflect God's image in us 
and live and experience a free life every day. So how do we live a free life? We move beyond our image into God's image every day. And so Dort, let's move to being a campus and a people that's not just stuck on freedom from, but let's move toward freedom for by moving beyond our image into God's image every day. God, I pray over these students, over this campus, that we would begin to experience a free life. Lord, would you allow us to move beyond our image and the focus on what we do in our behavior, and would you begin to transform our hearts through the tender voice of the Advocate? And may we begin to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit for the sake of others. For your glory and for your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.